Have I told you about the benefits of eating dried grapes? It's all about raising awareness. Hello and welcome to Behind the Veil, the podcast. In this episode, we'll meet a volunteer, lend our ears to a musician, hear how to keep a belly happy, listen to a leaf, and more. So stick around, tune it in, and turn it up. heard about probiotics? Well, I'm going to talk about this very interesting ecosystem. In other words, a microbiome. What is a probiotic? A probiotic is a combination of two types of bacteria and some variants of yeast. The first type is the good type, which keeps everything in balance. Where there's good, there's also bad. This is the second type. If, for some reason, you have too many bad bacteria, the good bacteria starts trying to maintain the balance. This comes out to be the physical signs of what we all know as being or becoming ill. That's because there is so much bad bacteria in your system, your body automatically reacts accordingly in the form of these wonderful good bacteria. Why is this useful? Because if these probiotics were not present, we would most likely become sicker faster. Good bacteria keeps you healthy by supporting your immune function and controlling inflammation. Certain types of good bacteria can also help your body digest food, keep bad bacteria from getting out of control and making you sick, create vitamins, Help support the cells that lie in your gut to prevent bad bacteria that you may have consumed, through food or drink, from entering your blood, and breaking down and absorbing medications. Okay, so we went through what it is and why they are beneficial. Let's move on to the last point. What kind of foods are rich in probiotics? For example, for breakfast... Try yogurt, buttermilk, and sourdough bread. For lunch, try cottage cheese, kombucha, and tempeh. For a snack, try fermented pickles. For dinner, try fermented sauerkraut, kimchi, and miso soup. Thanks again for tuning in to my health segment. Next time, we will discuss antioxidants. Don't forget to stick around to hear the remaining of our podcast. Thanks. I'm Richard. And I'm Eric. And we're going to be talking about the standards today. So just to reiterate, I guess uh, standard one, membership is voluntary and without time limits. That's an important standard, Eric. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That brings us to standard two, which states, 
The clubhouse has control over its acceptance of new members. Membership is open to anyone with a history of mental illness unless that person poses a significant and current threat to the general safety of the clubhouse community. Why don't we stop and talk about that one for a minute? Sure. What are, you, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that second standard? Well, I think it can be broken down into a couple of parts. Yep. The first part is the clubhouse has control over its acceptance of new members. No other agency has control over which members are coming into and being accepted by its membership yeah, and yeah. community. Oh, totally. That kind of sets us differently than other CSPs, day treatment programs. Is that that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. The second part is that membership is open to anyone with a history of mental illness, which is a good thing because there's a lot of people with mental illness, one in five. They can come to our clubhouse unless that person poses a significant current threat to the general safety of the clubhouse community. I think that's actually pretty important. You know, we are a community support program. We have a lot of members who are coming here. We want this to be a safe and inviting environment for everyone. We have a set of guidelines that we ask members, new members, to follow while they're here at the club. And we want everyone to feel safe while they're here. So I think that that standard kind of sets that tone. Yeah, that's that's pretty much right. So here's a question someone asked me, Richard. Do you think that using the language of current threat in our standards could be stigmatizing? Yeah, far too often I think that people you hear about in the news media, these acts of violence that are stigmatizing to the mental health community because the media is quick to jump and say, well, they had mental illness. It bothers me. How do they know? Do they know that the person had a history of mental illness? Or was it something else that made them do this? Because mental illness is treatable, and it is beatable. And so saying that posing a current threat is a stigma, while I think that may be a stigma, you have to look at the overall community and say, an event might happen in the community. You know, we don't want any fighting, but overall I think Clubhouse works, and I think it works well. It brings the people together and forms a relationship with the members and staff and tightens the bonds of members and staff in that community and that something like this wouldn't happen. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I, I I like to think that we have a really healthy environment here at the clubhouse, I guess. I, I feel like I could see how that could be taken out of context and could be stigmatizing. I also feel like, just to kind of, kind of go back over it, to me, that's more of just a safety mechanism put into place. Not necessarily to say that someone is violent, however, behaviors can be triggering, for other members who are trying to be in a safe environment, in a comfortable environment. And when those behaviors uh, become triggering to other members, it's not necessarily a safe environment. So I think that that's the, the spirit of the standard. 
Well, it's been nice chatting about the standards with you, Eric. You too, Richard. I appreciate this. to my walking, some termination point, some ultimate goal. Every day I walked, yes, and enjoyed it immensely. I watched the squirrels scurry about and away from me. I listened to the cardinals and jays. I overheard the murmured whispers of my neighbors near the trail. All this was very good, but it was also insufficient. I needed an ultimate destination to justify and organize my daily plotting, my rhythmic strike of the heel to the dirt trail, followed by the roll to the toes, on and on. There had to be some purpose. There had to be some sense that it would all come to a glorious end. So I figured a destination. I walked in order to turn into a leaf. Yes, you got that right. I was walking myself into a leaf. I suppose two questions may occur to you. One, why a leaf? And two, how could a person possibly so transform? I want to be a leaf because they are free to travel on the currents of the wind. As a human, I belch my way through life, forcing my will onto everything, turning the simple biting and chewing of a banana into an overall strategy to lose 15 pounds in three months. That sort of thing. Humans just force the issue. Leaves, on the other hand, force nothing. They come disconnected to branches not by pushing, but because chlorophyll stops, on its own, weakening connections. The leaf falls without trying, drifting down with the breeze, which carries it near or far depending on the day, as it twists this way and that way with the currents. In short, that is why my destination is to become a leaf. How will I transform, you may wonder. After death, all sorts of transformations of my body will occur. Before then, I need God's help. With every contact my right heel makes with the ground, I repeat the prayer, God, make me a leaf. God, make me a leaf. In this way, I hope to appeal to God so much, so often, that I create a kind of water torture effect in the combination of the heel banging onto his earth in my repeated request so that he goes a little nuts and cannot help but turn me into what I want which is to be a leaf drifting in the wind, effortless, without intention. I just want to be free, that's all. My footfalls are like military drumbeats, bang, 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 demanding from God my desires. There needs to be an end to my walking. I can't just be wandering around. That won't do. I will be a free leaf if I have to browbeat it out of him. On another note, some may find this all a little odd, as if there is some difference between me and other people. There is such a difference, but it is probably not what you think. All humans are like me in their pursuit of ends. What sets me apart is I explicitly name mine, rather than leave it as a vaguely defined goal, existing out there somewhere beyond the horizon of conscious awareness. My prayers and determination, step by step, organize my days, keep my knowing from going astray, guide me from here to eternity. And I know why, unlike others, who could not identify the cartoonish creation that is their endpoint as it hides, floating, outside consciousness.
And now, meet the music. Today we meet with Donnie Larson, the man behind the musical outfit called Stray Power and a long-standing member of our Vale community. Donnie, how long have you been a part of the clubhouse? Good question there, Jonathan. I've been a member for 30-some years, and I really enjoy Vail Play so much is because I'm interested in what <laughs> we're doing as a team. Right on. Well, we're glad to have you on the team, Don. Now, just getting into it, what can you tell me about the origins of your music making? Maybe I should ask, what was your first instrument? My first instrument when I was a small little child was the violin. Very cool. And did you graduate to guitar and keyboards later on? Yes, I sure did. I was working in Florida, and I went to this uh, music store, and I saw this really nice Kramer Red Flying V, and I just I fell in love with it. I purchased it. I bought an amp, plugged it in, started practicing and practicing and practicing ever since, and that's how it all evolved. Right on. And when was it that you decided you wanted to make your own music? This goes back all the way to 1982 when Stray Power just started. Just jamming around with my friends and came up with some brand new music and we called it Stray Power. Alan was still doing it, so it's got to be a good thing. A good thing indeed. As you were starting out, what did you find was inspiring to you? Did you have a sense of what type of message or sound you were trying to create? My music revolved around some of the ancient literature that I studied when I was growing up in Spain, which goes hand in hand with the philosophies that I have about life in general. Musically, my genre of music is probably metal, but my music is not necessarily metal. Interesting. So, So it comes from a kind of metal ethos, but it might not sound metal. How would you describe your sound if you had to? eclectic mm-hmm. some is classical some is techno most of it is metal and as an artist i just feel like it's good to be flexible with my messages of you know my philosophies about life keep it open very cool now as i listen to stray power donnie i hear a lot of different things going on kind of like a collage i hear found sounds and guitars and synthesizers and drum beats in your music What can you tell me about the process of how you put your soundscapes together? I was actually thinking about that. I was listening to some tracks on my player the other day, and I'm like, wow, I wonder how I did that. (laughs) Partly, GarageBand has a lot of cool options, and sometimes I use that. Just kind of depends on what I'm doing at the moment. But all in all, for me, it's not stressful working on that. I put a lot of hard work into it, and it's a passion for me, not a stress. Very cool. It's important to keep that passion alive. Now, Don, do you have a website or somewhere online that you can direct our listeners to hear some of your music and maybe learn a bit more about you? Um, yes, I sure do. At straypower.com, that does audio tracks. There's some of my philosophies in there and good music, MP3s, photography. And if anybody's ever interested in Stray Power or, or just some good eclectic music, check it out at www.straypower.com. Awesome possum. Well, it's been great talking with you today, Don. 
anything else you'd want to share with our listeners today? Um, sure. I just feel really fortunate to have Bill Place in my life and that a lot of my philosophies revolved around some of the ethics and beliefs and standards of the clubhouse that I've been here for 30 years. It's like magic to me. I have a passion for it. Well, grateful to hear about your passion for clubhouse and passion for music making. Thanks for being with us today, Donnie, and sharing pieces of your story. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Y'all out there can enjoy a bit of Stray Power music later in the episode. We'll catch you next time. My name is Keith the W, and this is my interview with Bob Griggs. Hello, Bob. How are you? Hey, Keith. I'm doing well. Good to see you this afternoon. I hope you're feeling well yourself. I'm doing okay. Um, how long have you been a volunteer at Vail Place? Uh, Keith, I've been a volunteer at Vail Place about eight years now. I started volunteering just a week or two after Chad became the um, program director at Uptown. Okay. Um, how has the clubhouse changed over the years? I think you can pretty much divide my time volunteering at the clubhouse into times pre-COVID and post-COVID. Because of COVID, we've developed the virtual clubhouse, which I participate in quite a bit. At first, there was no choice because the physical clubhouse had to be closed. Now that we've reopened, we've become a hybrid with both in-person and the virtual activities. With such a hard winter that we've had with all the ice, I'm really grateful to be able to connect with the clubhouse without having to go outside. Um, over the years, I've seen programs come and go. I'm happy that our writing program is getting stronger with the history theater continuing and Writing with Maria is now a regular part of our schedule. I've been to a number of the history of theater performances over the years, and I've always found them to be powerful and moving. We have members who write really well and show a lot of courage in sharing their stories. They make me very proud to be part of the clubhouse. Seeing the changes over the years, what is one thing you'd like to see change in the clubhouse? Good question. I believe strongly in the clubhouse, in the clubhouse philosophy, and in clubhouse standards. Over the years, I've seen how they've helped lots of people at Vail Place in their mental health recovery. So one thing I'd like to see change is a number of members who come regularly to the clubhouse. I'd like to see that number grow and for more people to benefit from our program. I'm very hopeful that our present learning communities with both clubhouses meeting together will allow us to borrow from each other and strengthen both programs in our clubhouses so that more people will participate. What is one thing you'd like return to? Uh, Keith, I'm going to cheat and mention two things that I'd like to return to. Though it ended before I started to volunteer, I know that one time at Vail Place we had a NAMI discussion group where members who wanted to could talk about mental illness. If we can find a 
another trained NAMI group leader. I'd like to see that return because I think it would benefit some of our members. I haven't been a participant in our sports teams, and honestly, that's a real good thing for the teams. But I'd like to see them return if the status of COVID allows, because I know there are members who really enjoy being part of the teams. What are some of the things that you like to contribute to around the clubhouse? Serving on the advisory council has been a big way that I've contributed to the Uptown Clubhouse. I've recruited new council members from the outside. I'm a retired minister, and I've been able to help create transitional employment opportunities at a couple of the churches in my denomination. I've also tried to support some of the clubhouse programs that I care about. For example, I'm a pretty regular participant in an equity, advocacy, and justice group. I've done that for the last couple of years. Also, I was a regular for years with David Beebe's Philosopher's Stone discussion group. David was a beloved member of the Uptown Clubhouse. who wrote several books about mental illness, his religious faith, and his life story. I've learned a lot from them and from David over the years. After his death, we decided to keep the group going, and I'm involved with doing that. These are all things that I care about, but what I like most to do at the clubhouse is simply to be there to be somebody that people can talk with. I want to contribute to the Vail Place community because it's contributed so much to me. Friendships are so important in mental health recovery, and I value the friends that I've made at Vail Place more than anything else about my time as a volunteer. Have you been a member of the Advisory Council for a long time? And what is the Advisory Council in your words? Yeah, I've been a member of the council a little more than four years now. To me, the council has been a place where Chad has been able to explore ideas and get feedback. Depending on how that goes, we sometimes can help him to make an idea into a reality. We also have looked at a lot of clubhouse data, things like attendance, people at meals, how many members are working, that kind of thing. And I think we've helped Chad to create a way to present the data that's clear and concise for people. You can see a lot about how effective our clubhouse programs are by looking at the data. Different advisory council members have also helped with fundraising. The last couple of years, I've been really involved with the Tour de Vail, and I've also sponsored tables at the Dr. Vail Hour. Advisory Council members are also spokespeople for Vail Place. It's especially true for Advisory Council members who have come from outside the clubhouse, who have a chance to tell their story about Vail Place whenever they're able to do so. Outside of Vail Place, what do you like doing? I love to travel, and I'm getting my courage up to fly again after the pandemic. I enjoy the Minnesota Twins. I'm proud to say I was at the Metrodome both times we won Game 7 of the World Series. I'm also a Timberwolves fan. I have a lot of fun talking sports with members at Vail Place. I read a lot, all kinds of things, fiction and nonfiction. I always read a mystery before I go to bed and fall asleep trying to figure out who done it. I love old movies, especially those from the 30s and 40s, and enjoy talking about my favorites. In another life, I'd like to have been William Powell, 
the smooth, debonair hero of the Thin Man series of films. The thing is, I don't look anything like him. I'm married and I have two adult sons and a new granddaughter. Spending time with my family is my favorite thing of all. What are your thoughts about the future of Vale Place? In spite of current financial challenges, I think the future of Vale Place is rock solid. The clubhouse philosophy works and Vale Place is grounded in that philosophy. We have a great staff and many awesome members. COVID has, of course, been a challenge, but it's also been an opportunity for members, especially those with tech skills, to step forward. This podcast is a good example of that, I believe. I've been at meetings with the group from Ramsey County working to start a clubhouse there, and that looks very promising. We've also looked at starting a clubhouse in North Minneapolis or northern suburbs, and I hope the time will come when we can move forward with that. I'm very hopeful that we can have met Medicaid funding for Clubhouse approved at the next year in the legislature. This would not only help us, but also open the way for fully accredited clubhouses to be formed throughout Minnesota. Whatever the future Vale Place, I want to be part of it. I'm deeply grateful to have found a place to serve as a volunteer that allows me to be part of an organization that I believe in and care about deeply. Thank you, Vale Place. You like to read books. Who is your favorite author and why? I do like to read books. Um, I read a lot of, as I mentioned, mysteries. And one of my favorite writers is a guy named Colin Dexter. He wrote mysteries set in England with Inspector Morse. And they were on PBS for years. And then there was a bunch of spinoffs. And Right now, I'm reading one, and I read maybe 30, 40 pages, and then I'm ready to go to bed and think again about, as I said, about who the murderer was. I read you you are a published author. What is the name of your book? Yeah, um, thanks for asking that, Keith. I think anybody who's wrote, written books likes to talk about them. I've published two books, one called A Pelican of the Wilderness, Depression, Psalms, Ministry, and Movies, and the other is called Recovering from Depression, 49 Steps. A pelican of the wilderness, that, that term is a quote from the Psalms in the Bible. To me, it's what it feels like when you're lost in depression. In that book, I talk a lot about my time in the hospital with depression, and how I had to leave the church I served as a minister for over 25 years in order to work on my recovery. The Recovery from Depression book is about things I've learned in recovering from depression, things that I want to share with other people. In that book, there's also quite a bit about my time at Vail Place. I just finished a manuscript for a new book that I tentatively titled A Penny Save, Recovering from Depression While Hunting Wild Coins. Wild coins is a term I use for money that I find on sidewalks or on the floor in stores, around snow piles that are melting, under cushions in different places, and in all kinds of places. You'd be surprised. I found a penny once at a car wash. Parts of the book are really funny. At least I hope they're funny, because I believe that humor is important in recovery. And I also think that finding pleasure is, is a big part of a satisfying life. So I hunt wild coins because it makes me happy. Hunting wild coins is also good practice in learning different recovery skills. 
It helps in learning resilience because you don't find a coin every time you go hunting for them. So you learn not to give up, but also to be flexible and realistic about it. Maybe you need to go hunt coins somewhere else. While a lot of the book is funny, some of it is also very serious as I try to be honest about how terrible depression can be. My symbol for myself is an old battered penny. It shows a lot of wear, but it survived. If I find a publisher for my book, I have a dream of getting any interested Vail Place members together and having a conversation with them about where they've found wild coins and what they've meant to them. With their permission, I include that discussion as a chapter in the book. Do you play any instruments? Oh, Keith, I wish I did, but I don't. Um, I love music a lot, and I love the music at Vail Place, but I haven't learned to play any music. I, I love listening to music. I, I love soul music, the old groups like The Temptations, Moth and the Vandellas, The uh, Supremes. I like bluegrass and jazz. I'm also a big NPR fan, and I often have classical music in the background when I'm writing something. And, and I want to give a shout out to our own group at Vail Place of Renovators. I, I love their music. I really enjoyed the last tour to Vail where they play. They add a lot to the life of the clubhouse. At Vail Place, we have a long history of pets being a part of people's lives. Do you have any pets? You're right. I know a lot of members uh, for whom pets have been a huge support. I don't have any pets right now. For many years, our family had a cat that we named Lurch. Our kids wanted to name her Fester, but my wife and I just couldn't go for that, so we compromised on Lurch, the name of another Adams family member. Lurch loved our family, but scared some of our neighbors so much that they wouldn't come into our house unless we promised to lock her in the basement. You like to walk. What are some of your paths that you like to walk? Yeah, um, I live in St. Louis Park, so I usually walk along Excelsior Boulevard. There's a lot of shopping that happens there and bus shelters and that sort of thing. And then I, I walk through Miracle Mile And then often I, I cross Excelsior Boulevard and go down the other side of the street. And if I have time, I'll go do some wild coin hunting in the clinic parking lot there for the Park Nicola Clinic. Are there any comments or ideas you would like to share with other members of Vail Place? I'll go back to something I said earlier, and that is the more people who come, the more people who participate, the more members who are active, I think the better it is for them and it's better for everybody. And I hope that's one of the things that's coming out of this learning community experience we're having with the two clubhouses together, the strength we have in numbers. And I guess I want to close by saying again that to me, Vail Place has been so important. I'm so grateful to have found Vail Place to be able in my own retirement to do something that I care about, that I know is worthwhile, that lets me use the strength and life experience I have. So I, again, say thank you to Vail Place for so many things. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome, Keith. Thanks for the interview and for having me on the podcast. 
Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Behind the Veil, the podcast. This episode was produced by Mark Jensen, co-produced by Kevin F., and engineered by Mark Jensen, Sebastian W., and Jonathan A. Contributors included Keith W., Jonathan A., Jeff H., and Richard W. Music was provided by Stray Power, Mark Jensen, The Veil Place Drum Circle Players, Piano Cover of Teardrop, and The California Raisins. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll talk with you in the future.